and welcome to this bonus episode of Ocean Matters. I'm Izzy Clark, the producer of this series from the Bertarelli Foundation, and these bonus episodes are a chance for us to revisit topics and explore extra content from the main episodes. It's clear from episode 7 that sharks are incredibly adapted to life in the ocean, but it's also pretty clear that scientists have so much more to learn about these enigmatic animals, and that, in turn, helps them to protect sharks and prevent their numbers from falling even further. But what does life as a shark scientist involve? I spoke with Dr Mark Meekin, Principal Research Scientist at the Australian Institute of Marine Science, to find out. He started by telling me about his first dive with a whale shark on the Ningaloo Reef in Australia. So as you picture yourself, right, you're out the front of Ningaloo Reef. It's deep water, you can't see the bottom, it's a beautiful sunny day and you're looking down through the deep water into this inky sort of blackness, the shafts of light going down, and you look out horizontally and coming out of the gloom is this enormous shark shape and it just resolves itself into this beautiful animal that is covered in these spots and stripes and it's just, it's it's like experiencing prehistory and is there in front of you for, for you to just admire and, you know, just having this, this real sense of ability to, to actually be in with the megafauna. You know, the megafauna is all gone on the land now. Pretty much it's in zoos or it's in game parks somewhere, but the megafauna itself is pretty much gone from terrestrial environments. Um, but in the oceans, the megafauna is still there. And some of that megafauna is sharks. Whale sharks are some of the biggest, but you know, you get that same thrill from snorkeling with tiger sharks and some of the other things you can see at, at Ningaloo. And that, and that's really what happened to me. You know, I, I went from working on on whale sharks and tagging them, then all sorts of opportunities opened up for me, working on tiger sharks, tagging reef sharks, and we we became far more aware and involved of some of the issues around sharks in today's oceans. And the story is, I'm afraid, not very good. You know, we are removing sharks from the world's oceans at an incredibly rapid rate. And that then, in turn, led me to some other projects, you know, Global Finprint being one of them. Looking into how we actually study these masters of the sea how can you even study sharks well it's a it's it's a, it's a funny thing to do usually people tag them right the the simplest way to do this is to tag them and boy there's some super smart technology out there now you know there are tags that we've been putting on on various types of sharks mostly tigers and whale sharks but basically we an attach a tag to the dorsal fin now, that tag has an aerial, and that tag, every time a dorsal fin breaks the surface and there's a satellite in view, it'll ping the satellite, and that data on location, temperature, depth of the shark, and records of its diving will, will download straight to my computer. So I can come into work in the morning and look at where these animals are and what they've been doing over the past 24 hours, you know, anywhere where we've tagged them or where they've swum to. It's just, an, it's just these are really incredible pieces of technology. And, and if you're lucky, sometimes you recover the tags and you get at the data archives inside them. And then we can really start to look at 
not just the ecology, but even the physiology of these animals, what they do to, um, you know, how, how their lives work out in the open ocean. Obviously, these are top predators that we're talking about today. So when it comes to tagging, how do you actually safely tag a shark, both for yourself but for the shark as okay. well? Okay, so, so how do you tag a tiger shark? Very, very carefully. Very carefully, right? <laughs> it, it basically, for all these really big, dangerous animals like this, you have to catch them. There's no getting away from it. Whale sharks, you don't, right? Whale sharks, we can just swim up to them and put a tag on them. Um, a thing like a tiger shark, you can't. And so essentially what happens is we catch them with a hook and line and within uh, a few minutes, as soon as they're hooked, you basically bring them alongside the boat, rope their tail along the side of the boat, bring the the head to the to the side of the boat and if you one of the very odd things about sharks is that they have a unidirectional flow in their in their blood system and if you turn them upside down they go into a thing called torpor so the the blood flow sort of ceases for a second and they go basically unconscious and uh, you can you can then safely tag one and then flip it back over the other side up uh, it, and it basically swims on its happy way. So um, it's a very useful little, uh, you know, little attribute to have and, and makes the whole operation a whole lot safer. So, you know, people have worked out some great ways to do this thing. So there's a group out there who tag sharks using this enormous lift where they catch them and they dr bring them onto a, a lift on the boat, lift them out of the water. You jump on the platform and you tag them and then the lift goes down and the shark swims away. So people have worked out some great ways to do these things. It, it's entirely doable, and um, we can show fairly, fairly conclusively too that it doesn't harm the shark. These are, for the most part, many of these topwater predators are very tough critters. And so, what are some of the things that these tags can tell you? Now, it's it probably you know the the ocean is not just this uniform body of water, right? It's in layers, and as you go down through the ocean, it gets colder and colder. What happens during the day is that food that most sharks, um, blue sharks and things like that, or whale sharks like, it usually accumulates down around two or three or 500 metre depths. And it does that to avoid the sunlight shallows where everybody might eat it. So it hangs out down there. And at night, it migrates back up to the surface. So there's a huge migration of what's called the deep scattering layer up and down through the water column. So, so basically what happens is the sharks follow that migration. Now, using these tags, we can look at the at the implications of that for these animals. Um, it, it's just an incredible thought. We can actually look at their basking, how they warm up at the surface before they head down to deep water or cold water, and they come back up again and bask again. So that's we get a real insight into the sort of the the trials of life, if you like, of being a whale shark or being a tiger shark out in these open ocean areas, how they access food, the strategies they use, to, to behavioural strategies they use to, um, to thermoregulate, to regulate their body temperatures and to make the most efficient use of the, the energy that they get. They cover so many depths. So how are you able to understand what is going on? There's so many ranges of depth to cover. That's quite a lot of work for a scientist, I would imagine. Well, that's why we have PhD students. <laughs> <laughs> to deal with these massive data sets that the tags return, right? And to actually try and make sense 
of, of looking for patterns and looking for behaviors inside those data sets. But it's not just the only type of, of you know, it's not the only, tags aren't just the only method for looking at what sharks do. We also use a lot um, things that are called baited remote underwater videos, bruvs for short. We can drop them around reefs and they have a bait bag out the front and a couple of little GoPro cameras and stereo vision. And essentially it films all the fish and sharks that turn up in a place. And we can measure the lengths of those sharks. We can work out biomass estimates. We can look at associations with habitat. Really, really useful little sampling tool. They just video for an hour. We pull the things back up again. And, uh, and basically somebody gets to sit down and work through all the tapes and work that data up. Again, really useful thing to have PhD students for. But basically what those allow us to do is do a, a really good census around reefs to look for what's happening with the status of sharks. And, and we just completed a global survey doing exactly that called the Global Finprint Project. Now, we went to 500 different uh, reefs around the world, something like 40, over 40 different countries, um, and the story that we produced from that is, is fairly worrying. 20% of the world's reefs basically uh, no longer have sharks on them. They're functionally extinct in those places. And, and that's essentially the, the key thing driving it is fishing. And it's that demand for shark fin products and, and in some respects shark meat as well that is really driving the, the depletion of sharks. So sharks are not built for heavy rates of harvest that humans are subjecting them to. They grow slowly. They reproduce slowly. They take a long time to reach maturity. And so if you fish them hard, they essentially disappear very, very quickly and come back slowly. So that's the problem. Now, the good thing about that survey was it didn't just show us the black spots. It also showed us the bright spots, places where sharks are still in abundance. And we were able to look at the factors that were supporting those shark populations. So what are the things that actually meant that sharks were doing okay in those places? What are the key things? And can we replicate that? elsewhere. What are the key drivers in the system? Are they things like governance? Are they things like simply remoteness? Are they things like, you know, lack of human population? What were the key drivers of actually determining those bright spots? And then if we work out what those lessons are, we can apply them elsewhere. It turns out too that some of those things are fairly straightforward. It's things as simple as having some basic fisheries regulation and some a form of policing of that. Those were really key things as it turned out. Yeah. We know that the numbers of sharks are, are falling and it is something that we really need to pay attention to. And it's so important that science is backing that up to provide policy to get all of that in place. But just to play devil's advocate here, why does it matter if we don't have sharks? You know, what does an ecosystem lose if we lose sharks? Yeah, so so the question of why sharks important is the one that's occupying a, a lot of people's minds at the moment. And there's a lot of debate about it. I'm firmly of the view that removing sharks from, from environments is, would be a lot like going to the Serengeti and shooting all the lions. You throw everything out of whack. You have soon have too many grazers overgrazing the place, and, and it basically you have effects that trickle down through the ecosystem. It's called a trophic cascade. Now, there's quite a bit of debate about that around, 
But I think the, the view really is, the evidence that's building is that in removing top order predators, we change the behavior of what are called mesopredators or lower order predators below them. They start doing different, very different things. For example, we can look at places like in northern Australia like the Rolly Shoals and Scott Reef. Scott Reef has been fished for sharks for centuries by the Indonesians. It has very few sharks left on it. Rolly Shoals, on the other hand, is a, is a marine reserve and has been for over 30 years, so it's an intact environment. When we look at the role of those lower order predators, the mesopredators on those two reefs, they do very different things. On the place where there's no sharks, those mesopredators are up in the water column feeding on fish. In a place where there's lots of sharks, those mesopredators are down in the coral, feeding on things like starfishes and urchins. They're having very different roles in those environments. Now, making the links through the food chain to see how that plays out in terms of food chain and ultimate effects is a very important topic of research for us. And obviously, when we see, when we look at the state of coral reefs with large outbreaks of invertebrates and things like coral crown of thorns and what have you, then there are obviously good reasons for trying to see if that's in any way linked to the loss of some of these top order predators. And we've got good data sets now that suggest that that might indeed be the case. So it's a topic of a lot of controversy and there are naysayers out there saying there are lots of things that act like sharks and behave like sharks. If we take them out, it doesn't matter. But let's face it, Sharks have been around for a very long time. Coral reefs have evolved with the presence of sharks. These big predators, to say that they're probably having no effect removing them, highly unlikely, I think, in my view. And I think this also highlights that there is so much about sharks that we don't know. You know, we heard in our main episode Al Dove saying that there's so much about whale sharks that we don't know, yet they are the sharks that we sort of know the most about. But So for you, what, what are some of the things that you really want to find out and learn that we don't know yet? Well, I, I think for me, it is the role question. You know, what is the role of sharks in, in marine environments? And, and since we're in the process of removing them you know, from so many environments before we even know, what effect they actually have, it's a critical piece of information. I mean, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have any effect on, you know, reef communities. I find that just a very unlikely scenario for so many reasons. But it, it's, it's vitally important that we nail that down, that we really get to the bottom of it before we lose everything. And, and that's entirely a possibility if we all sit on our hands. The other thing about that too is that you know, sharks aren't, uh, are important for their own sake and important for their roles in the, in the marine environment, but they're also incredibly important economically and in lots of really interesting ways now. If you go around the world and look at ecotourism operations, so many of those are based on sharks. If you go and talk to a diver on the Great Barrier Reef, what's the first and most important thing they want to see in their trip, in their holiday to the Great Barrier Reef? It's to see a reef shark. That's, that's top of the list for them. And I think the best example is actually at Oslob in the Philippines, where the locals have organized themselves into a cooperative where they, they actually provide a tiny bit of food for sharks, so they're there predictably for whale sharks, but thousands, up to 25,000 local Filipino tourists come and visit that area. It has changed 
fundamentally the lives of those people. It has lifted them out of abject poverty. And not only that, in doing so, it's also founded this very strong protective um, ethos for whale sharks that now, you know, Philippines used to hunt them, right? They used to hunt them, take out the livers and, and oil their boats. They don't do that anymore, that's for sure, because everybody sees them as economically valuable and they're an iconic species now. And understanding these creatures or these animals are, are so important. And I guess with the help of scientists like yourself, we are understanding more and more about sharks as research continues. But for you throughout your career, you've obviously seen so much. What was some of the most fascinating or thought-provoking work about shark that you've uncovered and almost came as a surprise? Oh, gosh, there's... (laughs) Where do we start? (laughs) Where where, where do you start on that one? You know, shark reproduction is just one of the weirdest things out there. I mean, virgin births, um, intrauterine cannibalism, you know, these young inside the womb that eat their siblings. I mean, shark reproduction is just weird, let's face it, right? Um, But that's only just one aspect of the ecology of sharks. And... And I think, you know, some of the most exciting discoveries uh, are still out there. They're probably still waiting for, you know, researchers like me who have the privilege of working on these animals to really get in the water and see them. And it makes me get out of bed in the morning. I tell you what, it's an absolute privilege to come to work and actually have the opportunity to work on some of these animals. Thank you to Dr. Mark Meekin. Next time on Ocean Matters, we'll be continuing the investigation into one of the biggest threats to marine life, that's fisheries and poaching. What's the extent of the damage and how can we create sustainable fishing practices around the world? I'm Izzy Clark and Ocean Matters is a fresh air production for the Bertarelli Foundation. Do subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode.